0: Welcome to PIs Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler.
1: Today we're broadcasting from the Washington Plaza Hotel, Washington, D.C. This is the time of year that private investigators and security professionals go to Capitol Hill to talk to senators and representatives. Investigators interested in legislation? Why? Why? because lawmakers who are doing their best to enact laws to protect individual citizens often just aren't aware of the far-reaching unintended consequences. Each year, interested private investigator professionals visit the U.S. Senate and congressional offices to get educated about pending legislation and also to educate lawmakers on the possible consequences some bills may have on the judicial system and other investigative processes. I have Private Investigator Bill Pellerin from Texas, Bill Butcher from North Dakota, and Legislative Advocate Larry Sabbath, who represents the National Council of Investigation and Security Services. The three of them will shed light on the essential need to protect current investigator access. Hello, Bill Butcher, Bill Pellerin, and Larry Sabbath.
2: Good morning, Francie. Good morning. Hi, Francie.
1: Good morning. Thanks for joining the show today. First, let me tell you a little bit about Larry Sabbath. He's a government relations consultant. He's a Capitol Hill veteran and two de- spent two days, uh, two decades serving associations, coalitions, and corporations in Washington D.C. He served as staff director for three subcommittees, he ha- which had jurisdiction over issues that affected. Oh, the Federal Trade Commission, Small Business, Tax, Antitrust, Transportation, Environment. He had his fingers in a lot of pots. He served as Vice President of a company called Celery and Celery Associates who represented private security and financial services. He opened his own firm in 2005 as Sabbath Government Relations LLC. He holds a B.A. in government and politics from the University of Maryland and a master's in political science from the University of Nebraska. And finally, Larry is the legislative advocate for the National Council of Investigation and Security Services. NCISS, as it's called, it's a 35-year-old association of investigation and security professionals. Larry, how did you get started working at the Capitol to begin with?
3: Well, I was going to school uh, at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas, of all places uh-huh. and I got uh, interested in politics and got my students involved in politics and got them to uh, get elected to the state and national conventions for uh, for the political parties back in the uh, early seventies i see and and you know, I was doing a little work uh, in graduate school, and while I was there. Um, I started working on political campaigns. And as sometimes happens, uh, one of our guys won, and he was elected to Congress. Hmm. And when he was elected in Cong- uh, to Congress, I went to work for him a couple of years in Las Vegas. And then two years later, he took me back to Washington to work with uh, his congressional staff. So that's how I got in- into uh, Uh, Congressional uh, activity.
1: That sounds like a really exciting time for you. Boy, it sure was.
3: And, uh, you know, I encourage public service for uh, a lot of folks. And, uh, you know, we're seeing the public uh, getting more involved in politics this year, and I think that's a very healthy thing. Uh, And I would encourage people who have an interest in public service to uh, do that, even if for only a short time.
1: And so tell us what specifically was your job as a staff member.
3: Well, for a while, I represented uh, the congressman uh, as a staff person on the uh, Energy and Commerce Committee in Washington in the House of Representatives, and on that committee, we had jurisdiction over about one out of every three bills introduced in Congress, and that included um, uh, control over the Federal Trade Commission and uh, some other agencies that have an impact on privacy matters, uh, and did tax policy. Uh, And then I worked for the small business. So I began to uh, accumulate knowledge uh, from the congressional standpoint about the needs uh, of small businesses and how uh, legislation that we were enacting in Congress would affect small businesses.
1: And were you in a position, Larry, when, uh, like, for instance, when a constituent would travel to Washington, D.C., would you be the person they would meet with Uh, regarding a specific committee activity?
3: Uh, Absolutely. Uh, We spent uh, a good deal of time meeting with constituents. And, you know, you learn things from them. It's uh, it's a healthy uh, American um, practice uh, to meet with your elected officials. And, you know, we found that all wisdom isn't uh, found just uh, in the elected members and their staffs. And they learn a lot, and we did. Uh, and then we tried to con- we tried to use what we learned in those meetings with constituents when we crafted legislation it's really a vital um part of the political process so the congressional it, process
1: it is an interesting process uh, most of us don't know much about it except what we hear in on the news and read in the papers um so what why are you in Washington, D.C. with the private investigators and security professionals. What are they possibly interested in?
3: Well, the uh, NCISS is the, uh, the national group that represents private investigators. And what has happened is that, uh, understandably, the American public, uh, particularly as new technologies have developed, uh, has become very concerned about uh, individual privacy issues. Uh, that people are concerned uh, to keep uh, some of their information private. And Congress has responded to this by introducing a lot of legislation uh, that would um, uh, restrict what information is available uh, that would uh, affect individuals' privacy. The we're all with,
1: concerned about our own individual privacy, correct? We
3: sure are. And, uh, I mean, no one wants their individual privacy. Uh, invaded, and the the Congress has attempted to remedy this uh, by introducing uh, a lot of legislation. And the problem is that many of these bills are extremely broad, and unless carefully crafted, they could have a negative effect on the private investigative community and other people who have a need for certain information in order to serve their uh, their clients and uh, their customers.
1: Well, a real hot-button item seems to be the use of a Social Security number as an identifier. And aren't there several bills pending that address in one form or another the use of a social security number?
3: Yes, and there have been for uh, the last several Congresses uh, because people are concerned about protecting their social security number and uh, particularly because they're concerned about the possibility of identity theft. Uh, Probably the major bill that's been introduced uh, in the 110th Congress, which is the one that is just about to wrap up in Washington, uh, it, one of the bills I was cons- that uh, has been introduced is HR 3306, the Social Security Number Privacy and Identity Theft Protection Act, and it was introduced by Congressman Tanner of, of Tennessee. And it attempts to restrict access to almost anyone uh, except law enforcement uh, to have uh, access to a social security number. Well, the impact of that the way it's drafted on private investigations would be severe because what it would mean is that the databases that private that, uh, investigators use to find witnesses or to investigate fraud or to investigate identity theft would be uh, would not be available to them. So what happens right now is that private investigators are able to utilize services that help them locate individuals for the most part. And in the background of those databases is the Social Security number. That's the identifier that ties identities of the 10,000 John Smiths together so that if you're investigating identity theft and you need to find where John Smith is, you need to be able to use those databases. And this legislation would mean that private investigators couldn't have access to that information.
1: And that would impact a lot of levels of our system, wouldn't it?
3: It certainly would. I mean, it would affect the uh, court system. One of the things we want when someone's on trial is to uh, have the court have all the information about a particular case at their disposal so they can make a fair decision to decide whether or not an individual is guilty. The jury needs that information. If a private investigator who's working, let's say, for an indigent defendant can't have access to that information, Mm -hmm. then indeed the court's not going to have all the witnesses that it ought to have, and you're not going to have a fair outcome of that trial. And that's really what's at stake with this legislation. And there are remedies, there are ways to access that information while still protecting individuals from an unreasonable invasion of privacy,
1: I see. And so, are there? Is that the only Social Security bill that's pending, or are there others?
3: There are others. Um, uh, Senator Feinstein has introduced a bill S one forty one, and there's a House bill uh, with similar language. Those bills are a little more carefully drafted. We think they could be improved but they do allow some individuals who have a need to get access to the information to have that access, including, um, in some instances, private investigators. But we, we do think that some of that language could be clarified.
1: So some people listening to this show might think, you know, why would a private investigator need my Social Security number, and, what, and how are they getting it anyway?
3: Well, they're using these databases that um, uh, obtain information about a Social Security number, and uh, they just access those databases. That's how they're doing it. And um, they're not seeking it generally because they want to get the Social Security number. They're usually seeking it because they're attempting to locate someone. It's not simply to get the social for its own sake. And the uh, individual... Uh, person whose Social Security number is accessed is protected because the databases restrict who can have access, and they check out uh, members of NCISS and other private investigators who utilize those services. They go through background checks, and you know, they're subject to audit. And they're, So the individual um, Social Security number is only accessed by an individual who has a legitimate need for it and can prove that they have the need for it.
1: Okay, this is a good time for a break. You're listening to Washington, D.C. legislative advocate Larry Sabbath talk about federal bills that impact the work done by private investigators. We'll be back right after a break.
0: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified.
4: If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard, every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
0: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Bill is a former FBI agent. He specialized in fraud and discrimination and crimes committed on Indian reservations. And he's been a licensed private investigator in North Dakota since 1982. He owns a company called W.T. Butcher & Associates Limited, along with his wife, Dina. He served as an active-duty U.S. Naval Reserve officer, has a bachelor's in economics and psychology, postgraduate study in business, a former certified fraud examiner, and actually spent eight years as a North Dakota State Director and Lobbyist for the National Federation of Independent Business. He serves now as a chair of the North Dakota Private Investigation Security Board, and he's also a regional director of the National Council of Investigation and Security Services. He also belongs to many, many local associations. I'm sure if there's anybody from North Dakota listening, they're going to know Bill's name, along with the Society of Former Special Agents of the FBI. And the Council of International Investigators and the World Association of Detectives, and I could go on and on. But Bill, let me ask you: Why is it important for you to have access to Social Security numbers?
5: Well, it has to do with uh, I being able to specifically identify the people I'm searching for, be they witnesses for cases, or I do a lot of uh, um, search for searches for missing heirs, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in North Dakota. It's a it's a uh, heavy oil-producing state, uh, uh, we're constantly looking for uh, the heirs of mineral owners, and uh, you've got to be able to be sure that you've got the uh, the uh, right person.
1: Sure. And and what? Tell me a little bit about the process. What happens once you identify the person you believe you're seeking?
5: well that's uh then the uh the the process uh, really begins uh, the the identification is as you mentioned earlier or as Larry mentioned earlier has to do with the social security number um, we uh we are are not information brokers we are we use the services of information brokers and uh once we have positively identified uh, the person that we're looking for or think we have, then we, it's as simple as getting them on the phone, making sure we've got the right person, and uh, putting in, them in connection with the, the, uh, the client.
1: I see. Okay. I'm sure you must have made many people very happy.
5: Well, we uh-huh. have. I've, uh, I, I get court appointed uh, quite often, or, or we do, to, uh, find as i say missing heirs uh usually there's uh there's an oil company or uh or some other uh, uh client that uh that it's like the old, the old millionaires tv show i've got a check uh, for you for it's not often a million dollars but but uh it's incentive for the person to uh, come forward certainly uh, once they're identified and and uh, contacted uh we uh we get as i say court appointed quite often in uh, north dakota to to uh find uh people who die uh, who, whose heirs have died uh, intestate and or without a will and uh we have to go uh back up the chain of their family history and then back down again and usually uh with all the land and all the oil that's in north dakota we've uh, got quite a it's worth quite a bit to uh the people that are contacted it's, those are fun calls to make
1: I bet they are. I bet they are. Can you think of another situation or a specific situation that, uh, uh, you've experienced?
5: Well, we're, we're always looking for witnesses. Uh, uh, that's always a challenge. Uh, witnesses for court, uh, action, uh, for, uh, trial. Uh, there's, uh, uh, that's not always easy, but it's very gratifying when you finally do, uh, find that, uh, that person that's required for uh, for court, uh, uh, there are so many, uh, instances where we, uh, look for the, the witness or the, or the heir or the, the person we've got, uh, so many, uh, business, uh, investigations that we do, due diligence investigations that we have to find, uh, co-workers, former employers, uh, that aren't listed necessarily on our resume. And, uh, or, or competitors for that matter. And so, uh, there, there, are just a lot of, lot of reasons to go out there and find, uh, find the person, but you gotta make sure you got the right person.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, I, am and I'm thinking too that, uh, sometimes, um, private investigators work for attorneys that represent people in class action suits, which go back sometimes 10, 15 years sure where they may have to find a former employee and all they have is a name and a social security number
5: oh that's right uh, that's right and those are real challenges because all often all you've got is a is a name um uh often when you're working for those attorneys you don't have the employment record and uh so you don't have a social security number so it's it's a real challenge sometimes and again it's very gratifying when you finally do reach that person right. or find exactly. that person
1: Exactly. Well, now there's a, there's another bill, uh, bill, <laughs> another bill uh that's a related to the social security number and that's a bill that's pending regarding data, the data accountability and trust act. Um, why is it would that be a problem for private investigators?
5: Well, um, we private investigators and NCISS in particular, uh we support the requirement to protect data and and report uh, breaches, but uh, but uh, we're concerned about the identification in that bill of information brokers. Uh, the bill has to clarify that uh, that we as private investigators are not brokers, and different rules apply. Uh, it's, it, we we don't want it to, to include private investigators because um, we have our sources, the information brokers that we go to, and that's where the that's where the uh, the law and the and the and any new rules that might be promulgated uh need to be focused
1: well and larry was talking about um a, a vetting process that uh some of the information providers require did you have to go through that in the uh with the information providers you've been subscribing to
5: oh certainly uh they they don't just uh, the the information brokers they certainly don't uh, Supply these the services; uh, their their subscription there, and you have to qualify. You have to be certified by them, and uh, they don't just take any any guy off the street or any person off the street uh, who uh, wants to have information. We have to go through, as you say, a vetting process and uh, become approved as uh, as a what a, a worthy recipient of the information.
1: Mm-hmm. They have just like um, you're required to know who you're working for. They want to know who they're giving information to. Of course, of course. Okay. Okay. Now you you mentioned Bill due diligence. Can you describe what due diligence means?
5: Well, due diligence uh, is uh, is the the establishment and verification of information relating to businesses uh, usually it has to do with with uh, mergers, acquisitions that sort of thing. Um, we do quite a lot of that uh, even in North Dakota we uh, when when someone is talking about uh, or or someone uh, is is talking about buying into a company or a company is is talking about uh, uh, bringing in someone as a partner or a group as a part in a partnership or or an association. Um uh, sure, they'll tell them how great they are, but then it's up to the investigator to to verify the information that they provide and uh and determine that they are uh, a good uh um, match and uh worthy match, and that they and that they've done the things that they say they've done and uh and uh qualify as a as a good partner or 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 uh colleague
1: sure because they're investing their money. In something that's important. Of course. And it's usually a lot of money, I suspect.
5: Well, yes, they're, they're, uh, they don't hire us uh, unless there's uh, substantial assets to be dealt with.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. Now, you, Bill, participated in what the investigators that are in Washington, D.C. D. this week call Hit the Hill, where they go to the Capitol, and you participated last year and found that it, there was a national issue that applied to your state of North Dakota. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
5: Well, I did. Uh, last year, uh, it was about the same time, uh, private investigators from around the country uh, through NCISS um, did hit the hill, talk to our, our legislators, to our congressional delegations, and uh, you talked about privacy earlier and, and perhaps unintended consequences. Well, one of the one of the uh things that we've dealt with last year had to do with the privacy uh, legislation that was being introduced um, and more specifically the redaction of personal information in order to protect privacy well mm-hmm. what redaction means is that they take out all the private information to uh out of court records to or legislation to uh to uh, protect uh, uh, the people that are named therein, and uh, I got back to North Dakota, uh, having talked to my congressional delegation about this issue, and I found out that the North Dakota Supreme Court was jumping on the national bandwagon with other lots of other um, Supreme Courts around the country, state Supreme Courts, to redact court records, and that would... say that they wanted wanted to purge them of all personal information including social security numbers but lots of lots of other information too in the interest of privacy but that's that's really troublesome to private investigators in trying to locate witnesses and do background investigations and to make uh positive identifications uh so I went back to North Dakota became aware of this and I worked with the uh, one of the North Dakota Supreme Court justices, who was in charge of the administrative rules for the courts uh, and changing them, and and I was able to uh, to influence uh, their activity in this regard and to uh, make some make some recommendations to them that they adopted. And I didn't get everything I wanted, but I uh, I was able to influence it substantially. So so that was a national issue that I. I found applied to our state uh, very specifically.
1: You must have felt pretty good about that.
5: Well, I did. I did, and it's always nice to get to know a Supreme Court Justice better.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> and you know, what you, what you also highlighted here is how one person does have a voice, how one person can, uh, even as we vote, we have a voice, but we can also have a voice by uh, talking to somebody, getting acquainted with them, being able to explain who we are and what we do and what we're involved in and it sounds like you did that and you did it well. Well, I think
5: sincerity and in purpose uh, has a lot to do with that. Uh, uh again, we not very many of us know Supreme Court justices as a state or or otherwise, but uh but if you find out who the person is that's in charge of the committee and if it's somebody of that stature uh, you talk to them and, and uh, tell them that you have a sincere concern about something. They're always willing to listen to you and, and, to, uh, and to turn you over to staffers, perhaps. But those staffers uh, are equally sincere in hearing what your concerns are.
1: That's great, Bill. Private investigator Bill Butcher from North Carolina, North, I almost said North Carolina, North Dakota, <laughs> is talking about why specific federal legislation concerns private investigators. Back in just a few.
0: NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified.
1: IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at one 800 447 2112 to sign up. Mention PI's Declassified, and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call one to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear
0: your voice counts, call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Taylor.
1: Now you'll hear from Bill Hellerin, a private investigator from Texas. Bill is the president and the founder of Texas Investigative Network, Incorporated. has been in the investigations business for 24 years. He's a varsity football player with Texas A&M, or he used to be, university um, varsity football team. He attended the University of Houston, holds two bachelors, and one in criminal justice. He's licensed by the Texas Department of Public Safety and Private Security Bureau, a member of the Texas Association of Licensed Investigators, as well as, of course, um, the National Council of Investigation Security Services, Council of International Investigators, and lots of local community associations. Bill, uh, there's some other bills that that might be pending that people would be interested in knowing about that involve employees and a possible uh, impact on employers. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, recently introduced
2: uh, H.R. 3149 um, effectively would ban the use of credit reports for employment purposes. And this would be even if an employee were to sign a written consent allowing the employer to either do the research or subcontract it out to a third party who might access the credit history. And as an investigator, or actually as an employer, that would be important to know, especially if they were considering somebody who would be in a role of fiduciary responsibility, uh, perhaps a business manager, a CFO, maybe even a CEO. And uh, what the investigator might be engaged to do in a situation like that would be to look at the credit history and to see if there's been any perhaps, any bankruptcy filings, uh, a poor poor credit history, a history of uh, debts or existing debts that might cause them or prompt them to make decisions handling money, deposits and such that would lead them into trouble, lead them into problems. And if, if, if there are people out there applying with a particular employer with that type of track record, uh, it's a red flag as an investigator. And it's something that we perhaps would recommend to the client that this person could certainly work in, you know, capacity A, but perhaps not capacity B.
1: Well, Bill, what is included? Oh, you say credit reports. Doesn't that include somebody's credit score and, and all of their account information and all of that?
2: It, it's, it depends on the particular bureau you're looking at. Some of them provide a credit summary. A credit score, and in general, you can make your decisions on that. Some of them are very comprehensive, and they do all the account information, specific details regarding debts, dollar amounts, length of the debt history, things like
1: that. Well, I've I've seen some of these reports. I've never seen a credit score. Okay. You never seen a credit score uh, uh, not, on a on a report on a credit report that's used for employment?
2: Not for employment. No, that would not that would not be associated with those for employment purposes.
1: Okay. Okay, so really what you get is uh, some basic summary information that an employer could use as a one factor in determining whether they're going to hire somebody.
2: That, that's right. The score is used as an as a indicator uh, to evaluate a person's uh, credit history. The credit check, yeah,
1: the credit report. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, and credit reports don't they require um, for it to be used for employment purposes? Doesn't the employee have to sign a release to obtain that information?
2: Yeah, that's right. The FCRA is real clear on that. An employer has to obtain the written consent of the employee who acknowledges that the credit history is being uh, researched for the specific purpose of evaluating and determining whether or not um, there's a stability required for this particular position with the company.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, it might... Send a red flag, like something like a maybe a gambling debt, or or lots of uh, uh, collection actions, things like that.
2: Absolutely, those type of indicators show up on the credit summaries as well.
1: I see. As okay. well,
2: bankruptcy and on an occasion judgment and liens too.
1: All right, okay. And this bill that you're talking about would ban the use of these reports, even if the employee had given their consent. That's correct. If passed,
2: what it would do would put the employer in the position where even with the written consent of the employee, meaning their cooperation, authorization to do so, could not have that research conducted and thus have less information to make a a truly prudent decision on hiring the person or not.
1: Okay. All right. And then um, I believe there's another kind of bill that might affect employment.
2: Okay. The other would be the Employment Background Act's check act of 2010 submitted by bobby scott democrat from virginia and what this is is employers again a bill that's been introduced that would limit employers access to criminal information that may have been filed prior to 12 months on an individual anything within a 12-month period filed whether it was arrest charge, misdemeanor or felony, conviction, warrant, what have you, within a 12-month period, an employer would be able to legally access that type of information on a a candidate for employment. Anything beyond that, the employer would not have access to, nor would the investigator be able to review the information and submit it to the client. Um, That's another red flag.
1: I see. Okay. All right. And, you know, it seems like there's a a bill... um, also that may be related and that's the bill that uh... where records are being expunged uh, after a period of time so um, expunged records are a concern as well when you're looking at criminal records is that right? Well, sure, especially if it's something perhaps, um, say, felony conviction,
2: uh, an act of violence, something very, very threatening within the workplace that could come back to, to haunt the employer. Mm-hmm. Um, the circumstances are very, very narrow that permit uh, records like that to be expunged. So what we're asking for basically is continued uh, access to information that we already have access to.
1: Right, and this... Specific bill, I believe, um, I believe doesn't apply to violent crimes, but more the nonviolent, which are maybe somebody that's involved in drugs or, or alcohol, maybe, uh, uh, DUIs and, um possession, for, uh, possession of drugs.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That may be possibly an indicator of a workplace problem.
2: Sure, Th- those, those things all factor into a person's stability. Um, their demeanor, the ability to re- relate with one another, reliability on the job,
1: so, and such. Okay, all right, and and Bill, what experience have you had with the use of social security numbers and uh, working with your clients?
2: Well, specifically, the Social Security number is a very strong and what I call a key indicator in identifying a person properly. Uh, and just to give you an example, any type of research, whether it's assets, background locates, witnesses, cases in litigation, cases in claim status, uh, it's important that we start with the, the, the key identifiers, that being the date of birth, the social security number, and the driver's license number, the social security number being your primary indicator. With that information, you can get through and you can filter through a lot of information, whether it's the Internet or one of the approved information database subscriber companies. You can filter through the name information and get right to the subject or right to the witness um, once you have the correct social and tied it into the right, as Larry mentioned earlier, John Smith or Susie Jones. Um, A recent case we handled was a white-collar case, three uh, day traders. uh, Both were in the Houston area, were Russian nationals, uh, attending a community college, very, very young. But Obviously, they were um, working in an organized effort with another group who – taught them the ropes how to fill out a broker agreement, an online trader broker agreement. In each of the cases, we found that all three of the Social Security numbers that they listed on this particular broker agreement were fraudulent. Uh, uh, two of them didn't have Social Security numbers at all. Uh, one of them had one but was using one, not, not issued, apparently, once they arrived here in the U.S. Uh, this was a case, we didn't know this till after we started, but the FBI was looking at as well. And mm-hmm. These were three individuals that um, once it was determined what they were doing, it was a matter of Prosecuting them criminally, we couldn't do that until we had pr- enough information on them to sh- explain. Excuse me, to demonstrate their involvement in that. Uh, but the key was you've got three individuals, and the government didn't flag it when the broker agreements originally went to the proper regu- firm, brokerage firm, and regulatory agency. Uh, but we picked up on our end that they were fraudulent. Reported to our client, and um, uh, afterwards, obviously, it will be criminal prosecution. That'll, that's the course that that case will take.
1: And what were they doing again?
2: Online trading, they're basically inflating account balances and uh, brokerage accounts and um, uh, uh, moving funds, things like that. The, the problem is the due diligence wasn't correctly done up front. They received a broker's license, to the online traders, and these weren't clearly identified by name, date of birth, social security number, and driver's license number. Uh, the names we have correct, okay, uh, the government obviously didn't confirm social security information beforehand, the regulatory authorities approved the applications, the broker agreements. They were permitted legally to conduct these types of financial transactions in the U.S., and we got the three cases and all three individuals. Within about two days, we were able to determine all Social Security numbers were invalid. And if I could back up for just a second, and it's real important sure. that our listeners understand, we're all familiar with a lot of the, which most investigators have been around for quite some time, a lot of what I might term the black market information brokers. You mm-hmm. find them on the Internet. There's also those that the banks and law firms are familiar with that are what we consider legitimate database information brokers. Mm-hmm. And there's a series of uh, credentials and information that these database companies require for, an on- for investigators to get online access to these. I see. And, again, the banks and law firms are familiar with a lot of who these information database providers are. But the key is when a, a licensed private investigator is conducting an, a legitimate investigation, whether it be a case that's in litigation, claim status, or an internal matter for a corporation and such, that after log on, username's entered, there's a series of prompts that ask questions that you've got to respond to. And once you respond to these questions, there's a record of why you're doing that research. Uh-huh. What's the status of the case you're handling? Are you a licensed private invest- investigator, etc. Once that record's entered into the system, that database provider can audit you at any point. So there's a series of checks and balances going through the proper channels to access this type of information that makes it extremely helpful for an investigator to do their job. Uh, Most investigators are aware that, yes, in fact, there are black market information brokers. Uh, Most consumers can find them on the Internet. It's typically a route their investigators prefer not to go.
1: Okay. Well, that's the voice of Bill Pellerin, back after a short commercial break.
0: NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified.
1: Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
4: Stay at 8 a.m. Pacific for The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat
0: radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: I'm here with two private investigators, one from Texas, Bill Pellerin, one from North Dakota, Bill Butcher, and legislative advocate, Larry Sabbath. We're broadcasting today from Washington, D.C. at the Washington Plaza Hotel at Thomas Circle. In case you've heard sirens, that's because we're right down in the middle of downtown Washington, D.C., and it's a delight to be here a number of investigators travel to Washington, D.C. every year to meet with their representatives and senators, and that's one of the things we're talking about today is how federal bills impact us uh, as private investigators. Larry, um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on the credit report bill.
3: Yes, uh, and the bill that discussed earlier, the Equal Employment for All Act, which was introduced by Representative Cohen of Tennessee. And that bill is the one that would uh, deny employers or investigators uh, working for employer clients uh, access to credit reports uh, when you're uh, doing uh, an investigation, uh, Mm of uh, a pre-employment investigation. Uh, The problem with that and the way many of the private investigators utilize that information is that they're not just looking for particular uh, debts that someone has. The most useful technique uh, for using the credit report is to find that uh, what people have said on their resume is accurate. What people often do is leave bad experiences off their resumes. If they had a bad experience at a former employer, they tend not to mention that employer. A credit report lists former employers and if there appears to be something left out, a private investigator can go interview the previous employer and find out if there indeed there was some kind of bad experience there.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about, uh, I guess, a different address, maybe an address in another state that w- wasn't listed would be a flag, a red flag?
3: It certainly is. And so there are many ways the credit report uh, can be useful, uh, you know, despite the fact you don't get a credit score when you uh, look at these
1: reports. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Well, Thank you very much, Larry. Did you have uh, how about the other bill that w- in relationship to employment? Did you want to address that at all? The uh,
3: real big concern with the fairness and accuracy and employment background checks bill is, uh, is, and that bill is intended to uh, make uh, criminal histories more accurate. Which I think we could all agree would be a great idea. Mm-hmm. You want the information you're checking to be accurate, and we support the intent of that legislation, but it it has one provision in it we really think is a mistake, and that provision says that if there's an arrest record in the criminal background information uh, and there's no disposition of that case after 12 months, that it gets dropped from the report that the regulator gets. I see. And we think regulators, before they give someone a weapons permit, ought to have access to information that someone's been
1: arrested for a felony. Sure. Yeah, sounds like a serious thing. All right, um, I would like to ask uh, Bill Butcher if you. We only have a few minutes left, Bill. Do you have anything that you would like to leave our listeners with?
5: Well, Francie, uh, I've got a lot of years as a private investigator under my belt, and uh, private investigations, uh, and oil, well, and and as a lobbyist for small business, which you mentioned earlier, and and uh private investigators normally fall under the category of of small business and but whatever uh whatever business you're in private investigators or otherwise um well intentioned bills have uh have uh, unintended consequences. We've talked about that. And I think it's really important for anybody in small business and including private investigators to become uh, involved with members of Congress or their congressional delegation and also with state legislators and with the courts uh to uh, protect their interests. Uh, and and those people, they're all either they or, or both they and their staff members are sincerely appreciative of uh of individual input from from their constituents, and they take it very seriously. And so I think uh, all of us should take it seriously, and and I would encourage everybody to take the opportunity to do that.
1: Thank you. I appreciate your comments. And Bill Pellerin. Well, often the
2: consumer, um, once they've been wronged, taken advantage of or fraud has been committed against them, perhaps doesn't have a door to knock on or someone to turn to. Law enforcement, uh, just due to the volume of work they have on their plate, often can't get to the typical consumer that files a complaint, has been taken advantage of, or would like to get restitution on how they've been wronged. And the private investigator is the person to call. If it's a licensed private investigator in a particular state that carries professional liability insurance and handles himself in a very thorough manner, that's the person that the consumer should call for assistance
1: in matters like this. That's, yeah, that's great. And, and Larry, you, um, I believe you have a recommendation of language that investigators would like to have included in a bill.
3: Yes. Uh, whenever you're restricting so- access to Social Security numbers, we think there should be exceptions for legitimate purposes. And there's, uh, back, there's some information that's basically in existing law in terms of driver's records that ought to be applied to these bills dealing with Social Security number. We think uh, this language would be helpful, and that would be to the extent necessary to prevent, detect, or investigate fraud or unauthorized transactions,
5: mm-hmm.
3: to locate missing or abducted persons or witnesses, uh, party to a lawsuit, to locate parents who are delinquent in child support programs, to find organ and bone marrow donors or pension fund beneficiaries, missing heirs, and for similar legal, medical, or family-related purposes. And similar language to that has been intru- uh, been considered by Congress in the past. We think that's a, a way to go that would uh, protect privacy and limit access only for the, these kinds of purposes.
1: Right. These are all legitimate business-related interests to provide information to a client whom you know or is involved in a legal process.
3: Right. And I, I think that's the, the most um, uh, efficient way to go and uh, I think the fairest to consumers and, and to the uh, business community that needs the information.
1: All right. Well, thank you to my guest, legislative advocate Larry Savas. North Dakota P.I. Bill Butcher and Texas P.I. Bill Pellerin for sharing their views on pending legislation. Tune in again as we declassify more real stories from real investigators every Thursday morning, 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Shows are archived here on Voice America and available to download on iTunes and mp 3 Questions about the show, send me send me an email, Francie at PIsdeclassified.com, and listen next week to private investigators Dean Beers and Don Johnson, who are, will be dealing with suspicious suicides. It's PIs Declassified, I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program, brought to you on
3: the Voice America Variety.